0: When it comes to a righteousness that we have when we stand before God, we want it our way. God says, nope, I'm going to do it my way, as we'll see next on Truth For Today. We have ideas about the righteousness that we think God should accept in us. But here, in Romans chapter 9, the Apostle Paul lays out for us the fact that the righteousness God requires, he also provides his own methods for. Missing God's methods of righteousness is the title of our message today, and this is Truth For Today, with Pastor Phil Howard from Valley Bible Church in Hercules. Won't you join us? Romans chapter 9, verses 25 through chapter 10 and verse 4. With today's broadcast of Truth For Today, here's Pastor Phil.
1: What are the two greatest commandments thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your heart, mind soul and body, let's just start right there I have always loved God with all my heart while I've broken every one of his commandments you'll hear people do You say, oh I just love Jesus with all my heart well will you obey him, oh no I'm still going to marry him what well I love Jesus but I've got to have this boyfriend, oh you do no, no, uh, I gotta have this. No, will you obey him? Well, I don't love him that much. I just feel sentimental about him. You don't love him until you obey him. John 15. You don't love a God you won't obey. You're just talking a bunch of religious garbage. You just say, honey, I really love you, but I gotta see Lucille on the side. Wait, wait. You say, you're married to me, you love me, but you got, I got to watch out. We got a woman in this church named Lucille. I'm sorry, Lucille. Uh, I got to see number X. I got to see X. Lucille, I don't mean it. Her husband came to me. My, my wife's name Lucille. X. You went to see X. Not your X, but you saw X. But I love you with all my heart, honey. But but you mean you're going over sleeping with her on the weekend? Well, I need to encourage her. We're talking about keeping his commandments uh, You shall not commit adultery. You shall not be idol worshipers. They're they're doing it right when he brings the commandments. Uh, What about you shall love your neighbor as yourself? How many of you know your neighbor? I know folks who love their cat more than their neighbor. They wouldn't go across the street to help their neighbor. But they got their cat in kitty care and kitty grooming. And they give more money to kitty than they do to missions. Because kitty needs the best. What's kitty got to do with God and people? The greatest thing on the earth, other than the gospel of Christ to people, is people. Do you love people? You might just start at home and ask anybody if they think you love them. That'd be a good place to start. Have you ever been accused of loving I'm talking about, oh, I want to to keep the commandment. Oh, well, I want the golden rule. I'll do unto others before they do unto me. I mean, as they would do unto me. No, no. You see, and here Israel, a people, no more zealous of people, by works method. They were ignorant of God's method of getting righteousness. They thought it was by more effort, by doing good, kosher of food, circumcision Sabbath sincere people religiously devout we think the Muslim world is devout just like of Israel through all the years among the Gentiles and here she is she is in her own efforts she's trying to win the favor of God and in the midst of it it says she is stumbling And she's stumbling over this stone as she's pursuing this God. She keeps kicking her foot on a stone and kicking. She pays no attention to the stone, tries to kick it out of the way, get out of the way, get out of the way. way. But the stone was the Messiah. I lay in Zion a stone that causes men to stumble, a rock that makes them fall. But the one who trusts in this stone will never be put to shame. Peter uses this language of Christ. It's used in Isaiah. Christ, the chief cornerstone, and Israel's just stumping her foot. Get out of the way. I don't want to crucify God. I don't want a tortured Messiah. I can earn God's favor apart from his Messiah. And They stumbled. And they've been staggering for 1,900 years like a drunk man in the fog. They've lost temple. They've lost priesthood. They crucified Messiah as well as the Gentile world. And stumbling, stumbling, stumbling to a Christless eternity. And Paul said, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God is that the Israelites would be saved. For I can testify Him being one of these zealous Jews. They are zealous for God. But their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God. And sought to establish their own. They did not submit to God's method. They sought as Paul in Philippians 3. I was born of the tribe of Benjamin. Circumcised the eighth day. A Pharisee. Devout in the religion of the Jews. I persecuted the church of God. But on the way, I heard a voice. And as he said in Philippians 3, I found out I did not have the righteousness that comes by faith. I sought a law of righteousness. And I was failing and failing and failing. And so I was perishing while stumbling over the rock. Could anyone be in the church today trying to do the same? Is there works religion anywhere? Do you think there's any religion out there today where people are trying to earn it? That they're not resting in what Christ has done, but they're impressed with their performance? They believe they're going to get a straight A on the exams. They think they're going to be the one that did it. Moses didn't keep it perfectly. No one else. But there's something about man he loves to earn the favors of others he likes to impress people with what he can do it's in our human nature do good that's why we love that uh, Santa Claus song you better be good because I'm not going to bring you anything for Christmas if if you act naughty and not nice and we said that's right that's right that kid doesn't behave don't give him a thing doesn't that sound good Now, it doesn't if you're the kid, but it makes sense. If you don't act nice, you shouldn't be treated nice. And God's method of righteousness is, I could be nice to people that have never acted nice. I could give sinners a free righteousness because this is what Luther dealt with. Luther was headed for law. And his father got mad at him when he gave it up. Luther entered a monastery at Erfurt. And he said he did not enter the monastery to be religious, but he did it to save his soul. Because he was in a field when lightning struck. And he promised to Saint Anne that if he'd spare his life, he'd become an Augustinian monk. He enrolled there. He became so um, emaciated. He fasted. He slept on a plywood plank. Uh, he was the most devout monk they had there, in fastings and prayers. Get up early, not eat. Doing everything to rid his soul of guilt. He felt guilty before God, and he kept going to the vicar, uh, vicar really, uh, John Stobbart. He was the one that he would confess his sins to as a monk, and sometimes he kept Stobitz in the confessional booth four to five hours at a time. And what was so bad about it is that he would come the very next day and want to confess his sins. And John Stobitz said, "Luther, you haven't you haven't done enough sins in in ten hours to come back to confession. Why don't you take at least a week?" But he was so guilt-ridden, he wanted to go and confess his sins the next day. John stopped and says, I don't want to hear you every day, Luther. You're wearing me out. And he commanded him, why don't you study the scriptures? And of all things, he began to study Romans and Galatians. And he began to teach at the university. And he said, when he studied Romans, when he came to the word the righteousness of God, he said, I did hate God and I did hate the very term, for I understood the righteousness of God to be this righteous standard of which I could never attain. So he said, My soul was vexed. My soul was vexed. I cannot achieve it. I am vile. I am dirty. In this monastery, I'm the most wicked man in Germany. But one day as he studied Romans 1, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for in the gospel, a righteousness is being offered from God to everyone who believes. He never understood that. He read Augustine, who wrote a commentary on it in 400 AD. And Augustine said, this righteousness being offered in the gospel it's not a righteous standard we achieve. It's a gift of righteousness being offered from God. He who believes the gospel, God says, I will give you a right standing before me as a gift and not as merit. He said that day when the light broke through on Romans 1.17, he said that verse became the very entrance to paradise for me. And on that day, I found out a guilt-ridden Augustinian monk could be right with God, not by works, not by genuflecting, not by going to St. Peter's Basilica and crawling up on it as he did, praying for forgiveness, begging for forgiveness, begging. It finally hit him. The gospel, the good news is, sinner, God will give you a righteous standing before him, based upon what Christ has done for you, not based on what you do for him. Do you hear it? We're saved because of what God does for us, not by what we do for him. Do you understand? If you're in church today, you can be as guilt-ridden as Luther and say, I can never get good enough to go to heaven. And guess what? You are absolutely right. You can never get good enough. Your only hope is to put your faith in the only one that is good enough. Christ is good enough to get to heaven for himself and to take millions who put their faith in him. Put faith in Christ and you can get a free ticket on this liberation train that takes you all the way to heaven. Christ is the one that bought the ticket. Get on his ticket and you can make the ride. It's free if you just believe. Is there anything complicated about that? Is there anything complicated? And yet Israel says, "What, what are you stumbling for Israel? This, this, just, this just ruins our religion. What ruins it? It can't be that way. We've been working all of our life. I'm about to achieve perfection, for the law says, if you keep it, you can be considered righteous. but I've never known anyone to keep it, but I've going to be the one that does it. I'm almost there. You're stumbling. You're stumbling over God's method. And then he says, the Gentiles got it without seeking it. You're missing it while seeking a righteousness in your own efforts. Let me tell you something, Israel. You who think you're going to go to heaven on a works law system, Christ is the end of the law to everyone who believes. Other words... There are no rules to keep. There are no expectations to keep once you come to Christ. He is the end of all rules, whether it's from Moses, whether it's from this, whether it's from that. When you come to Christ, it's no longer rules. It's not the tabernacle. It's not Moses. It's not Solomon. It's not any works. It's Christ alone. He is the end Of the law for righteousness. To everyone who believes. Christ. Christ saves. That Moses. Christ saves, not the law. Christ saves, not trying to act like an impressive Christian. Christ saves, not baptism. Christ saves, not giving your money. Christ saves, not your race. Christ saves, not, not being a preacher. Christ saves. Christ sa- He is the end of all works. It is Christ and Christ alone that saves. The thing that is disturbing to me is to see how much of the church world seems to be unimpressed with Jesus today. I read to you a, um, I read a book while I was in South Carolina with my girl by Brian Chappell. Brian Chapel is the president of Covenant Seminary. The name of the book is Christ-Centered Preaching. He uh, said, unless we identify the redemptive purpose in every text of Scripture that we preach and teach, if we don't watch out, we can keep stumbling over Christ in the Bible because we see all these different principles and people want to argue over this and some people read the Bible all the time and they never see Christ do you remember what Christ did to the two on the Emmaus road he started with Moses the Psalms and the prophets and he showed them all that the scripture said about him you mean Jesus was back there with Moses that's what Jesus said you mean he was back there in the prophets that's what he said to them you mean he was in the Psalms? Yeah. But you can read the Bible as Israel has for years. He said there's a veil over their eyes so they can't see Christ. And I'm afraid there's many in the church that are in the church for various reasons, but they've never been captured by Christ. Jesus is not the sinner of the reason they come. Maybe it's their social outlet, family went there, whatever. There are... Billions of people that will attend some places of worship today that don't know Jesus. But listen to what he says. He said, I witness miscommunication daily on a top radio station in our city that broadcast a morning meditation. Each morning, the preacher addresses some topic with a Bible verse or two. The subject runs the gamut from procrastination to parenting to honesty on the job. The station turns up the reverberation whenever this preacher speaks so that it sounds as though the words are coming from Mount Sinai. Background noise, you know, effect. Not to pay attention seems like a sin. I would guess that few even question the content of the man's words. He reminds him from the Bible to practice punctuality, good parenting, business propriety, and hundreds of thousands of motors say, that is how we should live. And they, he said, they just love to hear this man. He said, I've played this man's sermons, even in seminary classes, and asked my students, what do you think of it? Great, wonderful. The problem that I point out and that's hidden from the broadcast audience, is that the radio preacher is not a Christian. He represents a large cult headquartered in our region. And he's a great speaker as long as he speaks on procrastination, parenting, anger, temperament. And most of us don't miss the Christ because we all got a bent to hear things that have no relationship to Christ. You see, if I preach to you ethics, you ought to do, you ought to do, you ought to do. If I preach to you ethics without Christ, I'm setting you up to be a legalistic failing Christian. Because you can't keep all the ought to's. Did you hear me? You can't keep them. Oh, you you can? Can I talk to your wife? (laughs) Alone with you. With uh, with me and the deacon, okay? How is he doing? Has he threatened you if you tell us the truth? No, no. There's so much preaching, and I grew up on much of it. You ought to do this. You ought to do that. And if you don't connect that ought to to Christ, how about connecting to Christ since I met Christ? He's going to make a new set of morals happen to me. Since I met Christ, I've got new desires to please him. Since I've met Christ, there's a new ethic. Where, since I've went to Christ, there's a new power to do the right. Christ is the source of my new morals. Christ is the source of the new. It's not just me and my effort. I have no effort. I don't have any power. But I've been plugged into messianic power. His power is now being infused in those who believe. Philippians 4, 13. I can do all things because I'm strong-willed. I can do all things because there is no Christ. I can do all things through Christ. And in the Greek... Who infuses his power in me. I wonder if there's any Christ-empowered people in this place. That's the reason you behave, right? This is the reason you can praise God. This is the reason you live different. It's not your strong will. You aren't that strong. You are not perfect. You are not good in yourself. It's his power. It's his life. It's the life of Christ. Quit giving yourself credit, you self-righteous person. It's his righteousness, it's his power that makes Christianity dynamic. Oh, what you would do if he would just lift his power from you for a moment. What we are capable of doing. God help us. It is Christ is my ethics. Christ is my righteousness. But you know what? Even the church at Ephesus, when Jesus began to talk to them, He said something that's very scary. He said, I commend you for right doctrine. You hate the Nicolaitans teaching, which I also hate. I commend you. Listen, I commend you for working to the point of exhaustion in church work. You are exhausting yourself there at Ephesus for me. I commend you. He never commends us for laziness. He commended them for their works. But listen, I have one thing against you. In the midst of working for me, you've fallen out of love with me. You don't love me. You've lost your first love. How can it be? How can it be? I ask you, this is very personal. Now, don't say anything. I don't want to hear any noise. This is rhetorical. Is the main reason you're a Christian is because you have fallen head over heels in love with Christ and you're trusting in this stone and you've not been ashamed for he's been everything you thought. Is it Christ that brings you to meet with this people? Is it Christ that moves you to give? Is it Christ that moves you to give your body to teach classes, to, to be available, to pray? I, I'm afraid of people that you sense no intimacy about Christ with them. There's no, no intimates. There's no Jesus. It's about what they're doing. It's about this, their works, their this. And we can all fall into it. I think Ephesus was a saved church, but they fell into it. And I begin to think, is there any place in your house set aside for you to get alone and worship and cry and get on your knees and maybe sing a song? Do any of you ever sing a song to Jesus in your devotions? And you get alone, get on your knees. I'm amazed at all these big houses. You can't find any place to pray in them. Where do you folks pray in your house? We don't. Don't have enough room. Oh, you only got 3,500 square feet. Pray in your bathroom. John Piper said he built his own prayer bench where he can put his arms down, where he can set his Bible and his hymnal. He said, get to a place where you can cry and you can sing and nobody's going to break in on you. Do any of you pray at home? You're supposed to do it daily.